Good morning. We're going to get started this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you're going to need one. We're in Psalms chapter 1. Uh, if there could be, we're just going to, if you just feel led to be a Bible monitor, there's a bunch of Bible carts. There's one right there. There's one over there. Just pick up a Bible for somebody. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, somebody, will, I'm sure, will hand you one. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, Psalms chapter 1. If someone could shout out the page number 2 for me, that'd be great, at least on the white Bible, right? Not that that's the right Bible, it's just I'll know a page number. Um, anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. Psalms chapter 1. You, what is it? 374. Page 374 in the Bibles we're passing out. Once again, if you have your own Bible, that's not going to work. So uh, it's so good to be home back. I was in California with our two older daughters, and I had a great chance just to be out there. I got to teach at a church that I used to work at. Yes, they invited me back. Um, shocker. Um, but yes, it was a privilege to be there uh, with them. I'm excited to, to dive into a series with you. Our whole team is called Game Changers, and we want to hone in this, this morning on uh, this three-part series, the first part this morning about, about changing your own life. But I want to tell you a story about the famous philosopher Socrates. Socrates uh, was a great philosopher, and the story goes that a young man came up to him in the, in the city and said, Oh, Socrates, great wise Socrates, I seek knowledge. I desire knowledge. And so Socrates, as he would do, didn't say a word to him and just started walking. And this young man followed him through the streets of the village all the way down to the ocean front. And Socrates walks into the ocean all the way chest high, and so does this young man. And Socrates once again says, What is it, what is it that you desire? And this young man said, Oh, wise Socrates, I, I desire knowledge. And with that, Socrates takes his hands and takes on his shoulders and shoves him underwater. Ten seconds, twenty seconds. 25, 30 seconds, lets him back up. In shock, this young man with big white eyes feels like he's asked the wrong question or answered wrong. And Socrates says, what young man do you desire? And this young man says, I seek wisdom. I seek wisdom. And with that, before he could get it out, Socrates shoves him back under for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 35, now 40 and he lets him back up, and this man gasping for air, Socrates says, what is it, young man, that you desire? And he says, I, I want knowledge, again, a little bit louder, a little bit more emphatic, but Socrates once again shoves him under the water. And this time it goes to 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30, 40. Now at 45 seconds, the tremors of that young man's body start to go, and at 50 seconds, he lets him up, and with gasping for air, Socrates asks this young man, what is it that you desire? And this young man says, air! I long for air! And Socrates says, when you desire knowledge like you desire air, then, my friend, you will have knowledge. I thought that was such an intriguing story, because that's really true of us today. Couldn't we ask the question today, this morning, what desire drives you? What is it that really drives you in your life? We could probably 
survey lives in this room and find many things that you would desire that drive and propel your life. It could be control. Uh, it could be image. It could be security. There, there are, were a lot of things we could wrap into that, that that compel you or drive you to struggle for something like you would err. This morning I want to propose to you, though, that in our spiritual life, we should be gasping for something different than what this world offers. That do you gasp for Jesus? Is there a, a longing like air for the Spirit of God in your life? I find a lot of people today that say, I want to find God. I really want to find God. I, I want God in my life. And yet, when I ask them, well, what are you doing about that? What is that desire compelling you or propelling you to begin to do? And you find as you unpack that conversation, not much at all, if anything. It leads me to the second part of this question. If you could change something today that would transform your future tomorrow, would you? If, if you knew there was something that, that you could begin to do today that would guarantee you'd be different tomorrow, would you do it? We could say that in, in health, and it's interesting. Our, they, we know there are things that we could do today, right, that would change our tomorrow, but often we don't. It's interesting about human behavior, and I find this in the spiritual journey too. We have lots of people in, in northeast Wisconsin that what I would call very religious, but I would put another term into that, religiously lost, void of relationship, not really knowing about God, but punching a religion card and hoping, just hoping, something changes. If you could change something today that would transform your life tomorrow and the future, would you do it? It reminds me really of a couple weeks ago, I had, uh, I had vertigo. Anybody had vertigo in here? Wow, that is crazy. Um, I don't know what it's like to be that drunk, but I would say that that was a horrible feeling. So I would go, I would put my head down at night on the left side, only the left side, and it was like I was in a small boat in a, in a rough sea. And then I would get up in the morning, and I didn't discover this till I got up one morning, and I got up and I was like on a ship. I was like, wow, and I'm falling all over the, the bedroom. So I'd have to get up and hold the bedpost. Well, I, you know, I thought, oh, okay, life is over, something, I've done something. Uh, I had to find Dave Coffin, the neurologist, who said, Dave, is my life over? How long do I have? What's going on with my life? And, and I'm going to paraphrase or shorten this conversation. Here's what Dave says to me. He smiles. Oh, you need the maneuver. What? <laughs> I mean, he says, well, let me explain, Troy, and I'm going to butcher this for you medical um, geeks. I'm going to... Basically, he says, you have this cluster of, of like inner crystal-like things in the inner ear. And he says, what happens is if they get jarred out of kind of their placement and they start to go up into one of the loops, he called a hula hoop. I think he was completely doing that for me so that I would get, he wasn't, gonna, he wasn't using big terms, thank you. Uh, he said that starts to tickle some of the nerves and your eyes and distort and it's all your balance and motion and it was fascinating. 
And he says, all you need to do is go to your doctor and they'll send you to therapy and it really will take less than five minutes. And, and 90% of people walk away fine. I go, the maneuver. He said, yeah, to get your crystals reset. So I loved saying that for a few days. I'm going to get my crystals reset. That was awesome. <laughs> so I did. I went down to, to get some therapy and sure enough, this gal says, yes, that's what you have. And she says, this will only take minutes. It took 60 seconds. Turn your head 45 degree angle this way. Now I'll roll over and turn it this way. Turn it this way. 20, 20, 20. Done. It was gone. And I thought, how profound is that? That there are things that we can begin to do in our life that have nearly a 100% guarantee that you will find change. I wonder this morning how many of you feel a sense of vertigo, a sense of spiritual vertigo, or a sense of, of spiritually out of breath looking just to get up and cap, capture some air. How many of you are gasping for Christ, or how many of you are longing for Him? What is your desire? What desire is driving you? It's why this series, and we wanted to dive into this series because we wanted to, to employ or give you some, some nearly 100% guarantee things you begin to practice that will change your future tomorrow. We're going to draw out of the text in Hebrews. Hebrews, the Hebrew writer, uh, gives a very clear picture of something, something that I think we've got to wrestle with this morning. I'm going to use the message, I like the wording of how Eugene Peterson uses it. It says it this way in Hebrews 5, the writer says, I have a lot more to say to you about this. He has a great first part of this chapter that's beautiful to read, but it's hard to get it across to you. Can't you hear him? Just You're a bunch of hardheads. He says, since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening, I'm going to stop here for a moment. I think one of the greatest disservices we could do to ourselves is stop learning or stop listening. And as we get older, especially in our faith, the, the, the tendency is for us to equate time right, and knowledge as a sense of spiritual maturity. And we could start to collect for ourselves all the right answers. And we've been here for 20 years or I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years and find no transformation. Here's a great picture of this. this these are long-term believers. The writer's saying, hey, you should have been way down the road by now. Something's the problem, and he identifies it. You've picked up this bad habit of not listening. Friends, to grow. It's one of the reasons I love teaching. Do you want to know why I love teaching? Not so that I, as much that I make, uh, I get these great feedback from you that you're growing. I love that. I want to grow. I love studying because I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a good one because it's good for me. I love to learn. My trip this, this week in California, I had so many different appointments. I'm, I'm very different on my, what's relaxing for me. What was relaxing for me was scheduling probably way too many things, but I got to go to a Azusa Pacific University, the kickoff, and I got to hear Andy Crouch is the senior editor, the VP for uh, uh, Christianity Today. I loved learning from him. Wow, was it stretching about our faith coming out of the creation story. 
I got to go to a, a, a student government meeting where I got to meet with students for two hours that are the student government of Zusa Pacific University. Oh, I learned. Friends, this morning, you've got to recognize that part of the reason we gather is that we, are become, we, we posture ourselves as learners. All of us do. Just because I'm 36 inches higher than you does not mean I'm now privileged and I don't need to learn anymore. Ah, if anything, I think God makes us teachers because we're the worst. We become the most hard-headed. And I've got to keep taking this posture of learning. It says, by this time you ought to be teachers yourselves, yet here I find you needing someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again. Starting from square one, baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food, though, is for the mature who have some practice in telling from right and wrong. The writer's not talking about perfection. The writer's talking about a journey, is saying a progression. Why is it that people can come to Christ and stand still and not develop practices that will change their life tomorrow? Why isn't that they're putting things into their life that can be game changers for their life tomorrow? We call this series Game Changer. It's a phrase that, that came uh, a long time ago out of really identifying an athlete in a game, right? Today, we're gonna, in a few hours, we're going to want to see some right green and gold game changers. We're going to see some game changers and, and these these uh, abilities that they can have that can change the whole course of a game. In the lobby, you saw games, whether it's chess or, or Monopoly, there are kind of moments in a, in a game that it changes, it shifts, the tide shifts. That phrase later became something just to now tag onto business leaders or organizations that when they did this, it was a game changer. And so this morning... I want, we want to give you six game changers, six of them this morning, that can radically change the situation that you're in as it relates to your life with God. We're not going to talk about your life in church community this morning. We're going to do that next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about how do you become a game changer? What are the game changers to impacting the world? This morning, if you're feeling a sense of vertigo in your spiritual journey, in your relationship with God, if you're finding a sense of longing for that air, gasping for Christ, there are some things that you can change today that will guarantee you will redirect, you will, you will, it'll change the whole game of your spiritual journey. Guarantee it. So what are others this morning? We're going to come out of Psalms chapter 1, page 374, right? And so Psalms chapter 1, let's go at it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Blessed is an Old Testament term used often. And it, it implies there's a sense of, of, of gifting, of something good to come to you. And blessed is the one isn't just one time. It's not just blessed is this one, this one time. It implies that there's an ongoing blessing that keeps surrounding this person. The writer, as he starts Psalms, we assume, David, that he's giving us an interesting picture. He's saying, blessed is this one. 
There's also a part of this term blessed that actually means too is that he stands in right relationship with God. And in the, in the second part of this verse 1, he's going to contrast why he's in right standing with God. What is it that makes him different? When we, when we identify ourselves as a Christ follower, there should be an identifier. Scripture says that you're marked, your life should look different. And so he gives us three ways. He says, blessed are, is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. This phrase implies that thinks like evil people do. Thinks like someone that doesn't know God. They think differently. They're not thinking like someone who is wicked. Their thoughts have been renewed. The scripture says that, that Paul talks about in Romans that you're being transformed. And it starts by the renewing of your mind. Your mind changes. And so this one is receiving blessing and right standing with God because their mind and the way they think is different also or stand in the way that sinners take. That implies behavior. They're not behaving like the rest of the world. They're not living their life and doing everything and looking just like the world. They set themselves apart by living differently. The third is or sit in the company of mockers. They don't belong to those of the world. The scripture says that you are, you and I as Christ followers are aliens. We're aliens in a foreign land. We're, we're passing through. We're here. But this is not our home. This writer in Psalms gets this and says, Blessed is this one who sits in right standing with God that does not think like the wicked, that does not behave like sinners, and does not belong to the company of those who are mocking, who are hurting, who are cursing. doesn't mean they're perfect. And so we gain really two basic game-changer disciplines. And, and I'm going to say disciplines, but these next two really are moments. Moments of a decision, something that you can choose today that do transform your life. And all the rest of them are not going to be in an order, but these two come first. You can try all the other game changers, but if you do not have these two as significant stakes in the ground in your spiritual journey, you cannot change the direction of your life, no matter how good you are. The first is acknowledge your need by surrendering your life to Christ. How much do you need Jesus? When I, when I share that story of Socrates, that illustration of you will not get knowledge until you desire it like you do air. I do not believe that you come and find Jesus as fitting into your journey as when you want to. Or it's, it's, a, con, it's a convenient religion. I like a little bit of God. I'm going to take a little bit of what He does. I like some of His thoughts. It means acknowledging that you're drowning. It means acknowledging that you have spiritual vertigo in your life and the world is not creating a balance for you. If you don't have that, friends, you don't slide Jesus in religiously. Never in our Bible does it ever affirm religion as a way to God. In fact, God will will reprove, will, will go after those people who leverage religion to try to get to God. He says, I long for relationship. I want your heart. And because of that, then the heart of what we do, of these 
activities and these disciplines becomes blessing, but not to do these things so I get to God. What's the need? Are you gasping for Jesus like you do air? The second is to declare your obedience to Jesus in baptism. What happens is when a Christ follower or, or somebody is, is longing for air and they come to Christ, immediately there's a heart that I want to honor him. One of the verses in Scripture I love is that Paul will talk about, I long to please, every soldier tries to please his commanding officer. And Paul uses it as a, as a metaphor to say, when we become Christ followers and we've taken that first breath of air, it's everything in us is saying, I want to please him. I want to honor him. I want him to be proud. I, I, I don't know if you felt that feeling. I go back really in some deficit, and I love my father, but my father never watched me play sports all the way through college, never saw one game. And, and not to shame him, but as a young boy and, and a young man, the longing for my dad to be proud of me. There is something so real about that in our faith that when we gasp for Christ, that we long for the Father's approval of who we are. And he says, I love you no matter what you do or don't do. And so there's this great command that Jesus says, I want you to declare that love for me. I want you to, to display that love for me by being baptized. That baptism really is an act of obedience, declaring to, to God and everyone else, I am dead with Christ. I have come out a new person. I am different. It's a game changer, friends. Our, our little stat sheet that we did last week uh, revealed 45% of you are fit in one or two camps, would like to have a relationship with God or try to fit God into whenever possible, I would put you probably in the category of not really having relationship with God. You might have treated God like religion. And I want you to know this morning, I am so excited we're here. I love that percentage. The, the day it says that you know, only 1% on Sunday morning don't have a relationship with God, I really, some will be wrong. I love the fact that our doors are open and our church is for anybody. It won't be for everybody, but everyone to know the hope of Christ. That means there's some room for some game-changing in this room for some of you who have not surrendered your life to Christ, who have not stepped up once you made that decision to say, I'm going to get in baptism. I'm going to be obedient to Christ. This is not trumping infant baptism. If you were that, that's fine. This is your decision upon surrendered life to Christ. At the end of the series, in two weeks, we're going to have a chance to be baptized. I'd encourage you to do that. If you've not come to Christ and had that moment where you're gasping for more, not just trying to fit God in as a nice artifact, but gasping for balance in your spiritual journey, for blessing in your spiritual journey, there's room. Those are the first two. Look at this verse 2. Verse 2 says, But those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on His law day and night. This is blessed is this one who meditates on the law, who delights in this law. What is the law? The law is the story of God. 
this passage gives us a picture of what does it mean to, to delight? It means to, to feel a sense of being overwhelmed. Be moved in a moment. To, to be so compelled by something that just unfolded, you, you delight in it. I remember when uh, Lauren, well, having, by the way, I have four daughters, and so I played college football. I, I, it's all these tough and rough sports. And so I wasn't disappointed I didn't have boys. I just really recognized my girls will not play football. Um, and, you know, and so there's, there's a little bit of death to that. But I figure, all right, what, what sports will they do, right? Um, and so they picked the two things that I didn't even count as a sport, um, cheerleading and cross country. And so, I mean, I know they are. Okay, don't get mad at me and hiss. But I'm just saying, you know, back then... Those are sports? I mean, do you even work out cheerleading? I mean, so it was like, okay. So I remember Lauren was really young. Don't get too mad at me. She was really young, and so part of it was that agony of getting all dolled up and, you know, like glitter world. And So I went to the first competition, and I'll never forget, she's on stage, and it, I was blown away. First, I was blown away at all the dads that were like hyper dads into this thing. I was like, whoa, that's creepy. This is weird. <laughs> but it was, like, it was like everybody was psyched out for this. And then I watched Lauren do the first in this big competition. My wife looks over to me, and I'm crying. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> I, it, it, wasn't, it was delighting in my daughter's joy. There's something about, but whose delight, whose joy is in when God is speaking to us? The word meditate on his law, this word meditate, don't get confused here. It's not the word like to hum or to, you know, na, 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 or, or go through the verse a hundred times. I mean, part of that is, is some disciplines to do. This, this word has a much deeper perspective than just chanting or intellectual intake, right? Meditating isn't just knowing the Greek and Hebrew words. Uh, this is a very special letter. Uh, because several months ago, a young man named Garrett came to our house and stayed for the week and then sent this letter to Trish and I about his intentions and his love for, for Lauren. Now, spoiler alert, I'm not going to read one line of this. Uh, because I, I want to cherish and honor that for them. But I remember reading this with Tricia, and it's handwritten by Garrett, and I, I like meditate on this. I'm not just taking in the information. Oh, he's saying he's going to do these things. Good, good, good. He's got this down. It was like, I want to know him. I'm so drawn into knowing him deeper and how he's going to love my daughter and I just, I'm drawn into this. This is like something we keep going back to. And so I pulled this out last night and told Trisha she's going to use it. She goes, don't lose that. I'm like, I haven't lost it for like nine months. I'm good, right? <laughs> to meditate. Eugene Peterson in the message says, it says a little bit different, those who thrill to God's word and chew on it day and night. It's the thrill to know God and meditate with Him. And, and so it gives us two, uh, two more, 
basic game changers. Here's the first one. First, to develop your relationship with God by faithfully praying. Why do I put this in there? Because someone who's meditating and enjoying that begins a dialogue with, with God himself. Now, in our statistics that we did, that little survey, it was over, out, overwhelming that almost all of you pray, all right? I should have asked the next question. If we took off meal prayers, right, grace at the table, how often do you pray? You see, prayer is not some religious activity that you're supposed to just punch the card for God. It's a conversation. It's, oh Lord, at work right now, I'm struggling to love this person. Teach me what it means to love. Father, I am so afraid right now about what I'm going to hear from this doctor. God, I don't know the direction I'm supposed to go in this conversation. Lord, give me wisdom. God, take the desire of sin I have for this certain area away. Friends, this is a game changer. If you begin to talk to God this way, I guarantee it, your life is going to be different. Because you're acknowledging there's a communication with a living God, an active God that actually loves you and hears your prayer. Read Psalms. It's the psalmist David saying, where are you, God? Answer my prayer. It's this this tension and real relationship. So many times in this culture in Northeast Wisconsin, because so many are religiously lost, when you have a relationship with God, it's like, what? Relationship? Yeah, I I talk to him that way. I find it interesting because that's when you ask people to pray. It's like, I don't don't know what to pray. I just remember growing up hearing red prayers, beautiful prayers. Friends, prayer, this this game changer of prayer is, is this relationship that you have with the Father that's a conversation that isn't real pretty at times, that doesn't have a lot of clarity. Families, you want to change your family? Keep praying at the dinner table. Those can be beautiful. Start praying with your family when something amazing happens. Let's just circle up and thank God for this right now. You want to change your family? You want it to be different, a game changer? Start praying. Pray when there's, there's hurt or tension. God, give us wisdom. Husbands, wives, you want your spouse, you want college students you're dating you want your relationship to change get on your knees together there is nothing more intimate than the soul bearing of our lives out loud to a God that loves us again I'm going to go back to desire I'll ask people how much I want to be a better Christian I want to grow really how much do you want to grow how how could how committed How much desire? Is it like you need a breath of air when you're underwater? Or is this just another thing to fit in your list of all the things you're doing in your life? Do you see how desire has to be a part of this, a passion? So this third, not just surrendering your life to Christ in obedience and baptism, but this faithful praying. Friends, that's a game changer. That will change your life. That will transform your life I guarantee it. You're going to watch the hand of God. Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
There's a sense when our heart becomes truly desiring the one. God starts to clean up. The Holy Spirit starts to work more and more in our lives. You'll start to recognize his work around you. What's the fourth one here? Pursue knowing God by personally, uh, God, excuse me, pursue knowing God personally by daily reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many Christians, and I don't want to do it in this room because the point is not to shame anybody. How many Christians have been Christians for a long time still have not read his book? Cover to cover. Do you realize in every other field in our world, there is some requirements that you have to get through the basics, whether it's a manual or a sense of kind of a, a, a doctrine or a way to think, whether it's you're, you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a fireman, a policeman, there's kind of a, a protocol, a book to go to, right, to give you the basics. How is it that Christians, we've kind of let ourselves off the hook of not Drinking in and chewing on and thrilling to the book that God wrote us about his story. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of God. And friends, you will not find yourself as a game changer if you've not read through. Now granted, it is a hard book. I love how Paul said, I've said this to you guys so many times, he said it's a mystery of Christ. The word of God is a deep well. I call it, it's a bottomless ocean that you could live to be 200 years old and still reading the Bible and the Spirit teaching you through it. What does that tell you? The goal isn't checking it off the box. The goal is to chew on it. It says that the Hebrew little boys, the Jewish little boys and girls, when they were going to the first part of their school, they would, by the way, memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by heart. You could call on them and say, what birds are mentioned in all five books, the Torah? They would give them all to you. This is before they're nine years old. I'm, this is like that fifth grader show. I don't feel like I'm smarter than, right? And it wasn't about the smarts, but here's one of the reasons. They used to put honey on their hands, and they would have them lick that honey, and it said, the word of God is like sweet honey to the soul and you take it in, you ingest it, you begin to eat it up and that is where they started. Do you, friends, do you know every pagan cult and religion in the world has a book and most of them have read it through? But why Christians don't is so interesting. I hear the common uh, phrase, by the way, I don't read. I hear this from a lot of men. I'm not picking on you, but I kind of am. Um, I don't read, and then I'm seeing them either wear like a jersey or, or hunting gear, and I'll see like a magazine, and they're like, I know you're not looking at the pictures, you know, you're reading about hunting, you're reading about something. Friends, we have this book that God gave us to say, here, I'm telling you about myself, I'm telling you about my intentions, here is my letter about my intentions with you and a lost world. 63% of you said you read the Bible between never, means zero, and sporadically. We have lots of room here to be game changers this way. There's lots of room for improvement in your life if you want to make a change. 
Start to read your Bible. Friends, the white Bibles are yours for the taking. Uh, I think over the couple years, we've given, given over a couple thousand Bibles away. Those are yours. If you have a friend that needs a Bible, start somewhere. Then it, it may be you meet with somebody that teaches a lot and say, hey, could you get me a, a book that explains this book? Yep. But begin somewhere. Daily Bible reading. It says the Word of God is living and active. It's like a two-edged sword that cuts between uh, bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It divides. It creates a tension in us, but it sharpens us. Not only surrendering your life to God, baptism, but also prayer and this idea of reading the Bible. Verse 3. That person, now this person that, that does not walk with sinful people and doesn't think or behave or, or belong to that group, Here's what they do. They meditate on God's law. They're, they're talking with him and reading his book. It says that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yieldeth fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Read that last part. Whatever they do prospers. I, in an embarrassing way, I get this from people. They'll say, oh, Troy, you're so blessed. What? You're so lucky. Because I'll start talking about things I get to do or people I meet or, or something that happens. That's not me. I think the more that you pursue and acknowledge that deep desire for the breath of God in your life, that he brings stuff that you had I have I didn't engineer any of this. I didn't engineer being here as the pastor at all. God is amazing, and you will start to see that God bears fruit in a life that stays committed to that. So much of what we do is backwards, right? We pursue the blessings we want instead of pursuing the one that gives the blessings. This person is like a tree planted by water. They will never be thirsty. There's no sprinkler system needed in this relationship, and it will yield fruit Seasonally. Isn't that interesting? Christians hear that. It doesn't mean year-round in its season. Gosh, sometimes I have fruitless seasons in my life. What does this give us a picture of? What fruit gets bore out of a life that's beginning to implement these game-changing principles into a life? Well, here's one. You begin to practice expressing your thankful heart to God through giving. Oh, no, here it goes. Right? The church just wants my money. And you've heard me say it. Oh my gosh, friends. The world wants your money. The whole world's structured on getting your money. Right? It's marketing. Everything is trying. I mean, how do you drive down any road today without getting marketed to how many times? Right? I, I don't see any marketing in the room. The church was a place where Christians gathered and the fruit of their gratitude, the, the generosity of their heart. It says that he changes hearts to be grateful and thankful to God, and they just start giving. Some of the words tithing, sacrificial giving, people giving over their tithe. So how does the church work? Yes, the church operates on that. But friends, you've got to hear the principle here. This is a game changer. You can tell the desire of a life and where if it's stopped. Remember the Hebrews passage, if it's stopped listening, by what it's doing when around giving. 
Now, this is not to measure you or say you're good or bad. It's just it's, it's true. Look at the heart of a person, and they say, look at a checkbook. Because it says, God, I trust. It says, God, I'm thankful for what I already have. Great definition for contentment. You want what you already have. 17% uh, in our survey give an offering once or sporadically per, uh, per month. So it's basically, we have room. Now, overwhelmingly, we're a church that gives. We really are. And our, our budget was approved. God has done great things to our church, and that's largely God's changing you. That's not because of me. That's not because of marketing. That's God changing hearts. When that couple came in, what, four years ago, and wrote a check for nearly a million dollars to pay off our mortgage, that wasn't a marketing pitch. That was God moving in hearts to say, God, thank you. Years ago, Trish and I, with Lindy and Aaron Campman and Donald Bettina Driver, we, went, I, we took them to uh, Kenya with a world vision trip. And one of our kind of communities we're going to go to is about five hours outside of Nairobi. I mean, it was a horrible, long, dirty, dusty drive. We got there, and... Immediately, you kind of saw, we're in, we're in nowhere. I mean, don't anybody get hurt or sick. I mean, it was one of those feelings. But they said World Vision creates um, systems and, and kind of processes for people to increase their, uh, their value of living. And so they taught them how to grow watermelons. They'd never grown watermelons. Watermelons grow in very low water areas. So most of these people walk miles for water. So they gathered, and all these people, this is just one slice, it's probably 150, these villagers, all volunteering, have been taught how to grow these watermelons. We're perfect timing, they're seeing their first fruits. So we get to walk through their fields of watermelons, they're so proud of them, this is what they look like. So we gather together, and you can imagine the scene, now Trish and I, we're not you know, we're not wealthy by maybe some of the standards here in America, but we're really wealthy to this culture, right? Now think about who we're sitting next to, the drivers and the camons. So they are so overwhelmed that we'd come and see what they've done. Now mind you, the goal was that they can not only eat these, but they can sell these to the local hotels. They'd have to walk for, I think, four or five miles, sell them for $30 a piece. Listen to the hearts when they grabbed a bag of all their first runes and handed them to the Campmans, the Drivers, and the Murphys here. They had not even had one yet. That was their first pick. Friends, when, when God captures a heart, generosity comes out. You don't have to twist an arm. Churches, pastors are asking me, what are you doing? For, I'm not twisting your arm, friends. Because any giving given out of compulsion or obligation is no good to God. He says, nope, won't count. He longs for those who are gasping for the opportunity to be generous. It's why we offer it as a part of worship in our service. This other one is to commit to a, a, a weekly gathering with other believers. And the scripture says very clear 
that we're to do this. 16% of you come two or less times per month. There's room for us to grow in this. Look what it says. Let's, un, let's hold unswervingly this hope of Jesus Christ, but let's consider how to stir everybody up toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Friends, a game changer is gathering with other believers. Game changer. If you think you can say you're a Christ follower and isolate yourself, you've missed the biblical teaching of the church. If you feel like you can come in here, be anonymous, exit after communion, friends, you've missed the perspective of the longing of what it means to rub shoulders with other sinful, broken people who are also gasping for air and have vertigo just like you. And there's something beautiful about that community. That is the local church. He says, encourage one another all the more. The last part of this verse is not so the wicked. They are like chaff. It blows away. It says they used to take the grain and they would throw it in the air. And the grain, the weighty grain would fall down and the chaff would blow away with the wind. That's how they separated it. And Look at this last verse. It says, God charts the road you take. The road they take is Skid Row. Friends, there's game changers that you can begin to put in your life. It's surrendering your life to Christ. It's baptism. It's learning what it means to begin to pray daily, regularly, read. And then you begin to attend and give, and you start to learn what it means to be a part of a community. These are game changers if you want your life to change tomorrow. If you could change something today that would transform your future, would you? What do you need to change this morning? As the team comes up and leads us into communion, I want to ask you that question. What do you need to change? What do you need to start today that will transform your life tomorrow? We're going to do this for three weeks, and this week is simply about your relationship with God. I will guarantee if you begin these things with a heart, God's going to change you. They're game changers. They're going to change the course of your life, and you're going to feel very differently about your spiritual journey. And so as you go to communion, the scripture says, do not go if you don't know God. If you don't have a relationship with God, it says don't blaspheme the table. Don't treat it as a religious duty because scripture says that doesn't count. It says only go out of that expression of love and gratitude to a God that would sacrifice his son Jesus. And ask yourself, because of his passion, what do I need to change? Father, as we go to your table, would you guide us in, as your word can do, uh, put a finger on anything in our lives, God, that we need to change today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.